Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. That's an Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. Uh, on the agenda today, uh, Russian spies, Brexit. Uh, <laughs> no, of course. It's Everton and plenty to get our teeth into, including a very sweary Sam Allardyce press conference at Finch Farm this morning. We'll look ahead to the trip to Stoke. And, of course, we'll chat uh, about the news that Chief Executive Robert Elston looks like he could be on his way out of the football club. Um but we'll start with the press conference, some uh, previewing Stoke, but Preno, um, you, you've watched it and obviously the, the standout line, if you like, was Sam's reaction to being asked that Yuffie Sigerson <laughs> could be out for up to eight weeks. They should market it as a comedy routine because, you know, the, the, the comic timing was magnificent. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the poor Sky questioner uh, who suggested that he might be out for eight weeks and, you know, Sam Allardyce clearly unaware of the club statements. Who told you that? And, you know, quite accurately says, well, Everton Football Club did, you know, six to eight weeks. And that was it then. He just took off. They've got it wrong. Someone's going to get bollocked for that. <laughs> and I wasn't in the room. I was watching it on the uh, on the Facebook stream. But I would imagine one or two media personnel had very bright red visages during that time. It's unfortunate. I mean, clearly there's been a breakdown in communication there. Um, but, you know, Sam Allardyce takes a pride in... Um, sports science and I think he probably feels that he knows as much as the medical department at Everton he probably doesn't um, but you know he has heard the medical team say that six to eight weeks and he thinks that they can produce that what was the phrase he used uh, they give a conservative estimate and we try and beat it so he almost sees it as like a challenge uh, to get Gilfie Sigurdsson fit quicker than they predicted and he suggested that you know some players heal quicker than others which is undoubtedly true but it was quite comic really the way in which it was delivered and uh, his affronted nature mm. at the fact that you know someone had suggested it was going to be eight weeks uh, it, no real significance in it you know it's reassuring that Gilfie Sigurdsson isn't as badly injured as we first feared and uh, he is going to be you know certainly fit for, towards the end of the season and for him personally for the World Cup but just quite amusing the way in which the whole story came about Greg do you think therefore there's a, there's, there's a wider point in terms of football clubs should just avoid any time frames as much as fans and us in the media want to get a, a figure on things like this when people are injured are they best just staying clear of things altogether no I wouldn't say they, they should avoid giving out any guidelines but maybe they should be more clearer that these are you know estimates and because for example this week in, in, in the BBC they've been sweating over Harry Kane's fitness and Tottenham have been under an immense amount of pressure from across the whole range of probably European media given Kane's profile mm. Uh, and the World Cup on the rise and to give sort of timeline on him and it's come out that it's going to be about a month now it wouldn't surprise me if it was a little bit less or even a little bit more and maybe we should all just be a bit more accepting that these are very much estimates it does make me laugh this Everton one though because particularly Everton uh, in terms of how it's uh, <laughs> this kind of comedy actors has emerged because there's even a quote from Sam in, oh, the, yeah? press, in the press statement, the press statement yeah. that Everton yeah. put out so I would wonder why Sam Allardyce didn't know 
yeah. that this was going out. I mean, I appreciate he's got bigger things on his mind in terms of getting the team ready for Saturday. But I don't think likes of David Moyes or managers like that would have, who are very much a micromanager, would have known a press, would not have known a comment was going out to the press with his quotes in it talking about a very important player's fitness. It just strikes me as all a bit absurd. But as Prano said, it's not really in the grand scheme of things that important. And if there is behind Sam's kind of indig- indignant response an indication that actually we'll get Sigurdsson back sooner, well, it's all the better. Well, it's good. And Gav, I was just going to say that surely for Sam, who has pronounced prides yeah. himself on his sports science backroom staff yeah. and, and, his, and the way he believes he's given Everton a cleaner bill of health than, than he when he arrived, surely it's in his interest in a PR point of view. If he said nothing at that point and went, yeah, yeah, eight weeks, yeah, yeah, and then brings you back in six and goes, look what we've done. We've done it again. Yeah, but I think sometimes if you're uh, taken by surprise, I mean, yeah. if you put, put a mic in front of uh, people, even experienced people, they can... Uh, they can sort of react in unexpected ways. So I mean, it's always great when a manager produces invective, isn't it? <laughs> press conference. It's well, like, give us a good line, yeah, and otherwise yeah. fairly ordinary yeah, yeah, press yeah. conference, hasn't it? Well, the, con- the concern I have this at this juncture is um, when you talk about sports science, is how somebody could play for ninety minutes mm. on Saturday and then find out that whatever you would say taking what Greg was saying about estimates and all that like he's got a six to eight and cover more ground than anybody yeah, else yeah, yeah. and I'm doing. just a bit concerned about how I mean I remember the one the one I always remember like, remember Dan Gosling at Wolves years ago where he'd done his cruise and ended up playing yeah. he stayed on the pitch having done his uh, cruises and I'm just concerned I mean, I'm, I mean I know sometimes injuries flare up after the fact and stuff like that but I'm just wondering what, what actually happened on Saturday Jordan and immediately after the game where we've gone for the player I thought look reasonably okay on Saturday to now out for well, let's put, a let's couple put, of months let's put our shoes in, 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 uh, put ourselves in the shoes of I think it was Adam I think he was a physio ran on um, if he, he's got to take sort of anecdotal evidence at that point yeah. it's a quick decision Gilfie's saying to him no I think I'll be fine can he you know what, what? what's the what's the process no, then I'm not, I'm not accusing anybody here it's just a bit of a strange one for me in the fact that you know like Harry Kane was quite clearly injured wasn't he on, uh, sat on, on Sunday um, Gilfie okay a little bit of a knock but then there's now out for whatever you would you know <laughs> six to eight months <laughs> weeks days who knows it, that was just the, the, the strange yeah. one for me about it um, but it, it is it's always good because we know how regulated press conferences are and things like that how it's changed over the years you know and there's good reasons obviously from a club's perspective it's always good when it just goes off like off yeah, script yeah. a little bit you know it's, it's very entertaining well, certainly it? that point of view in the last three managers both permanent and, and uh, caretaker we've maybe been a bit spoilt haven't we Koeman and yeah, you know, Undy yeah, yeah, yeah. always were saying things how we felt it yeah no I, no, I agree all the better for it now I think getting back to players I mean players are different I mean there are some players out there that will feel the slightest twinge and that's it they're injured they can't play there are other players that can play you know with the, with the ankle hanging off you know it depends on you know their, their mindset and then equally during the course of a game you know there's so much adrenaline pumping through footballers you know bodies that that can mask symptoms um, you know who knows you know at that precise period Gilfie Sigurdsson probably thought oh it's not so bad you know I think I can get through with this other players might have just you know sort of put their hand up straight away and gone off so it speaks an awful lot for his character that he was able to carry on and the circumstances of the match as well you know he was in a situation where he felt he could get through it fortunately uh, staying on the pitch didn't appear to cause any lasting damage because that's what can happen yeah. I'm right to think he's actually damaged his knee joint as opposed to the ligaments because 
I think if you've damaged your ligaments, mm. you know about it, don't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Granted, you know the, the the extent to which you've done it is only real evidence after a scan, I suppose. But straight away, you, you, your knee balloons up, doesn't it? And, and it's clear that you're out of the game. So maybe this is quite an unusual injury. I never heard someone damaging the knee joint well, before. I don't know if you watched the replay of how he did it. He sort no. of did a nonchalant flick with his right foot to pass the ball back. I think it was to Coleman. Yeah. And as he's, it's sort of an unnatural way of kicking the ball. And as it's as it's come back into its natural position, it's jarred almost. Right. That's so. what he gets for showboating. <laughs> just play it straight. I've heard of knee joints and something you mentioned yeah. there. It's like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Obviously, Everton will have to plough on without Gilfy for an undetermined uh, a period of time. But certainly on Saturday, uh, the trip to Stoke. Um, Preno, Allardyce spoke of using the in-house sports psychologist to try and help Everton. Um, is therapy what they need to get rid of these this travel sickness? <laughs> it's quite funny, actually. Just before we came in here, I was just transcribing Kevin Ratcliffe's column for tonight. And I think it's fair to say Kevin's old school. He's not particularly enamoured of the, uh, the role of sports psychologists and does suggest that modern footballers are pampered and are motivated, or, uh, very, very difficult to motivate. Uh, he admitted that you know their players in those days were motivated by money. He says you know you could double you know your your weekly salary with with a bonus. Nowadays you can't, and so what else motivates your own personal pride? Um, I think it is very, very important, the role. What, what we tend to lose sight of is, you know, okay, running out onto a football pitch and having 40,000 people screaming abuse at you is difficult enough, but players have come through that all their career, you know, and they should be able to handle that. But it's the intense media scrutiny. It's uh, the fact that as soon as they step outside of a door nowadays, they get a mobile you know, phone thrust in their face. If should, they should be, you know, open enough to go on social media, which a number of players are, and try and you know, engage with fans, they get absolute you know, dog yeah. abuse in many cases. So it's an unrelenting spotlight, and I don't like to think what that does to you know, sort of players' psyches. So they probably do need uh, some degree of support and some degree of assistance to go through it. We can be a bit too flippant about it sometimes. And um, especially when you've had a season like Everton have had, which has been so unexpectedly poor, that there has been incredible spotlights on them. Uh, sat down with Ashley Williams about, oh God, six to eight weeks ago, and I don't scream at me if you mention Ashley Williams' name, but you know, at the time he was doing okay, uh, and he's had like a, a rougher spell at the start of the season. And he was asked how he handles it, and he does think about it an awful lot. He says, but his reaction is to retreat into a shell. He says, I don't buy newspapers, I don't watch Match of the Day, I don't go on social media at all. I just try and get inside my own head and just try and work out why I'm doing what I'm doing and try and you know, sort of improve. So you know, clearly it does affect players, and you know, having a psychologist on board can only help. I mean, lots of absolutely top-profile players have talked about the work uh, Steve Peters has done with them. Stephen Gerrard, Craig Bellamy, you know, across the park, uh, speak glowingly about him. So certainly wouldn't you know dismiss it. You know, Kevin is old school, like I say, but you know, there's certainly a role for it in the modern game. I would suspect, and if it can help Everton overcome this mental block they have away from home, which they clearly do, you know, all credit to it. Gav, uh, this is probably the 624th time we spoke yeah. about what's wrong with Everton's away form, but <coughs> as we've had a long time to talk about it and think yeah. about it, what is wrong with Everton away from home? Um, good, quite good. Interesting start. This last, is the question though, isn't last, it? Last 23 away games, 12 points. Last 23 home games, 50 points. Yeah. It, it's that, that sparse. So we got, for every away point we get over the last, what, it's not getting on for 8 to 15 months, isn't We've it? We've got like, one more point away from home than West Brom yeah, this yeah, season. Yeah, 
So it's one every one away point we get four at home. Yeah. So that does shows it the disparity. I mean, I take on board everything Pano said. I mean, I think it's not just using football; it's been used in all sports for donkeys. Years. In fact, the, the argument is football's way behind some yeah. of the other sports. Uh, for me, I don't think it's a case of attitude. I just think it's a case of the style of play we've got and the players that we've got in the modern game. Whether the suited for play, playing away from home, that we've got no pace of, until you know Christmas. Is that you? Know, you, you, you we saw it for twenty minutes at Burnley, didn't we? What we can do when we've got a little bit of pace in the team and people running from deep, that actually we just look far more effective for it. But we sit, we sit deep. With, with players with no pace, and you're not going to win away games unless you, you know, you you, you fluke a, 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 you know, a set piece. Um, you're not going to win, win away games with those tactics, especially if defensively you're quite uh, vulnerable. And I think that, for me, has been the reason why we've not done anything away from home. Where at, at home, because you're on the front foot a little bit more, you can get away with it. Um, if the, if the, the opposition have parked the bus, and it's and that's simply as for me. It's the players we've got are just not suitable for for good away, uh, you know, good away form. I would agree life. definitely with Gav there, and I think part of the element where you spoke about the defensive set piece yeah. side, and I would say attacking and defending set pieces, but particularly defending them, it hasn't helped the inconsistency of selection across the back four. Yeah. Um, with Allardyce, um, you know, that just frankly has made it a difficult task when you've already got a bad away form, and maybe that does get into their heads. I don't know. Uh, even worse and it, I think and Chris Wood at Burnley is, is the outstanding candidate but I can think of some appallingly soft goals this season that Everton have conceded from set pieces on the road um, and I think it would help I, I know injuries don't, you know, don't aid this but I, it would help if you just sent out the same back four because that, that unit's going to be tested obviously on the road isn't it but if they at least know they've got a little bit of form with each other i.e. after Saturday at Brighton pick the same back four send them out give them a little bit of stability mm. to build upon if, if, if Evertonian would rightly be well within the rights to say well what, why why can't the home form be anywhere near the away, away form because it's 11 players it's Baffling. the same game yeah. it's the same pitch effectively just in a different place yeah. the rules are the same yeah. you know so is it do they do the players feel so uncomfortable Away from Goodison, which I, I, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't logically it doesn't make any sense. I can't imagine they feel all that comfortable. But that's, but that's yeah, it that's shouldn't do, should they? That's what yeah. I mean. It's not yeah. as if you know. Obviously, Goodison has returned to being something of a fortress, so yeah. to speak, in the last sort of eighteen months. But hasn't always been like that. But you know, logically, it doesn't stack up that they should be so bad away from home. Yeah, but. There's two two teams in a football game, isn't it? And it's not just what we do; it's what the opposition do, isn't but, it? So, but, so, but Evertonian who was a Goodison on Saturday would go right, play pretty well. Why don't we play exactly the same way on Saturday at Stoke? What's the difference? Brighton Stoke, well, what's the difference? Well, you would expect Stoke to press a lot more than what Brighton did. So, like Wayne, Wayne Rooney, well, you actually don't know, dear, but just generally speaking, Wayne, I wouldn't expect Wayne Rooney to get the same amount of space at Stoke. So the one he had like he basically had the entire half to himself didn't he on there on Saturday and and I think it, it's what I say it's a combination of like the, the, there's big disparities now isn't there between I always think between the way teams play home and away if you're outside the top six mm. and you know park the bus a little bit away from home and go for a little bit more at home and I just don't think we've got the, well, until Balassi and Wolcott and I think Tosin coming back in 
hopefully we show the band we've got a little bit more where we can mm. we can uh, break out a little bit quicker than what we have been because that's what teams do don't they you know they, um, they exploit the space that that the, the um, home team leave for them and we've just not had the players to uh, to do that I'm afraid in the last sort of 6 to 12 months I'm reasonably optimistic about the weekend because of the the back four that we now have in place I mean you know Baines and Colin we've spoken many times about and you know still you don't know what you've got till it's gone you know those two have been so sorely missed in terms of penetration going forward as well as what they bring defensively yeah. I mean Baines he creating the second goal on Saturday and he does that away from home he just doesn't do it at home as well Seamus Coleman you know scored the winning goal at Buddy Crystal Palace last time you know so well, one of the few occasions where we won away from home but even more crucially, Phil Jagielka. Now everyone looks at Phil Jagielka and looks at his age and thinks, OK, 35-year-old guy that can only play one game a week. But he's still one of the quickest players in the squad there, which seems you know, ridiculous you know, given his age. But he is, which means they can afford to defend that little bit higher up the pitch. OK, he's not an absolute speed demon that's going to you know, yeah. lacerate people for, for pace. But you can afford to certainly play a lot higher up the pitch than Ashley Williams does, who sits criminally deep at times and so I think Jackie Elka being back you know will, will help a little bit as well so you know I'm, I'm reasonably optimistic yeah, for so the weekend you know, like Greg's point then Greg do you think that like Michael Keane looks far better with Jags than yeah, any other infin- infinitely like better with Jags yeah. and I think that's not really a surprise because of Jackie Elka's experience obviously Ashley Williams is experienced as well but he's just going through a really difficult time in general I think it's just been yeah yeah Difficult time. Since he spoke but, to Prano. Yeah, since, <laughs> since, he, since he opened up to Prano. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dr. Dave Prano <laughs> was told to get on with it. <laughs> yeah. we, um, but no, I, I, honestly, I do, I, sorry, I, just, I do think that Jaggy Elka's fitness and really maintaining that, and if he can get, we've only got really one game a week anyway yes. going forward. If they can get that out of him, mm. they're going to get to 40 plus points very quickly, I feel. Mm. And he's the best man to be alongside Keane. I, yeah, because Keane isn't the quickest, is he? No, no, not on the turn. I'd be interested to see on the turn, actually, given that there's probably a decade between them, maybe yeah. a bit less. Who's quicker? Who's quicker? Mm. Jags is key for me, and I'm obviously the fullbacks. Yeah. yeah. Have we been surprised at all by Stokes' troubles this season? Are they have they finally uh, a recruitment process? And we want to be talking about recruitment processes, obviously. But has their, their recruitment process caught up on them? They've got no goals. I've had the pleasure of doing quite a few Stoke matches. Of course, yes. <laughs> and Shakiri just continues to delight. He's yeah. probably one of the best players in the bottom half of the table, attacking players, I think. He's brilliant and he's been a bit more consistent this season. The problem they've had is they've got no, they've really struggled for goals. They've got Hesse, who's on loan, who's had problems with his child and been mm. hasn't played for a long time, come back into the team. For me, seems a little bit fitful. Crouch will come on towards the end of games, but generally speaking, obviously they've got Berahino, who's not scored. Uh, he scored for five year, years. Yeah. 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 who yeah. is in and out of games. That's their big problem. Mm. They really struggle for goals, and a bit like Everton, really, they sold on Altovich and didn't replace him properly. So defensively, they're all right. Although actually, the position the table suggests otherwise, and they have conceded a lot more than you'd expect the Stoke teams mm. to concede. I think. The scenes have got it together in recent, in recent weeks. Maybe they're still not getting the rub of the green. They're strong traditionally, as you would again associate with Stoke in midfield, but it's just that lack of goals. But Shakiri's been wonderful. Sometimes he can change games on his own. 
It just I'm sure if the Stoke fans are thinking if they could just get some support, to, mm. then they'd probably not be where they are and in the table. It was interesting. Sam, Sam at the presser today identified him as well and talked about man-to-man marking on him. Mm. It was almost like uh, he's the key player if we can stop him playing. You know, nobody else is Lordwell that much Silver. of a threat. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It, well, it'll be interesting to see. You know, whether he does detail somebody just to sit on him. Yeah. Who would Sam Davies? Guy, if he's fit, assuming, assuming yeah. he's, he's well again. Yeah. Just stay on Shakiri, Gav. Obviously, Everton were in the market for Shakiri in the summer of 2015, um, but we understood at the time. Greg might be able to remind me um, that they decided that they weren't willing to pay the money, but wanted to take him on loan because there was some concerns from Roberto's end that he wasn't, you know, there was some consistency issues and, and maybe what have you. So they, Everton were only interested in taking him on loan. Is that a missed opportunity? Looking back, or do you think actually he is the sort of player that Everton probably have got about five of now? <laughs> uh, oh, have we? I'm not sure. In terms of, like, you know, your yeah, consistency yeah, yeah. type. Yeah. Um, missed opportunity in 2015. I don't recall. I remember us talking about it, but I don't recall us actually being gutted about it, you know. But. Um, I like Shakiri. I think he's like, as Greg said, he's probably like one of the best two or three players outside the top six, isn't he? Like, and he's probably, with all due respect, he's probably capable of playing mm. even better than like heaven. Well, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah. well, you look at his CV. Yeah, yeah. By yeah, Munich into Milan. Yeah, yeah. He's that really. If we go back to the Jamie Vardy conversation yeah. on Tuesday, which uh, got a lot, we got a lot of feedback about, didn't we? Um, <laughs> and um, not necessarily glowing, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, never uh, is. Yeah. <laughs> But th- that was the point raised about Vardy and the same principle also applies to um, this guy, doesn't it? That actually, if he was to leave, there'd be like some big clubs who would probably be in for him. Mm. Um, and I, I don't think we, as you say, we've got enough players of that ilk at the moment anyway. Um, I was uh, shocked to learn last night when listening to the radio and the message Craig straight away to learn that Mbula, that's a guy that Stoke signed in January of last season for about 18 million quid. Huge fanfare. Yeah. What a signing everybody said. He's now out on loan. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, you know, as I said, Everton have had their problems in that period in yeah. recruiting, but it looked to me like Stoke have wasted some uh, some Because there's, there's, there's that mad stats, isn't it, about Stoke that at the start of the season they had more players who'd won the Champions League than any other, uh, yeah. any other club in the Premier League. <laughs> yeah. I think it's five or six. Yeah. Yeah, which is just mad. Which just goes to show they have underachieved a little bit. Um, but we know, like, on what it's like down there, I mean, I think it's been quite difficult. Been like real walls of attrition having me down Stoke over the last yeah, five or six I, years. I was, like, I was going to say, so Preno, Sam spoke um, at the weekend, I think we, Monday night, uh, Sunday night into Monday morning, we carried the stuff. He said maybe the away form's so bad we might have to go and dig one out at Stoke. Yeah. Now, suggesting that, you know, might, might have to batten down the hatches and just dig out a draw. Is this going to be the worst game of football you've ever seen when you've got <laughs> Paul Lambert scrapping for everything? Sam Allardyce taking a team who can't get anything away from home. It, sh- it shouldn't be. Uh, under Tony, if Tony Pulis you know, was still mm. in charge of Stoke, you'd say, well, yeah, OK, that probably would be the case. But not now. I mean, the way Everson played in the first half at a Burnley side, who have been very, very decent this yeah. season, suggests that they, they are capable of doing that. Having the defensive improvements that I've already spoken about, um, having the pace of Walcott and Bolassi, should he start both of those, you know, so higher up the pitch... Uh, Cheng Tosin looking like he's you know settling in quite nicely. There's absolutely no reason why Everton shouldn't be able to go there and outplay Stoke. I'm not being like too rose tinted here because I know what Everton's away form has been like. 
Stoke can be difficult to go to. It can be a very intimidating arena. You know, the, the weather's always hideous there, even in May <laughs> so and April. It's always winter uh, in Stoke. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, but their home form this season is poor. I think they've won five, drawn six and lost the rest, you know, which, which you know, for Stoke is quite out of character. You know, it's normally quite a, a fortress for them and it hasn't been this season. So there's no reason why Emerson shouldn't go down there and they only get a certain number of away tickets so you, know, you won't have the huge travelling support that they used to have down there in days of yore. Oh, <laughs> but, um, great. But, you know, it's, well, it was always an easy place to yeah, get yeah, to Stoke, yeah, yeah. isn't it? So, you know, you'd always have loads down there. Uh, but there's absolutely no reason why Everton shouldn't go and play football. Yeah. They don't need to dig in. They don't need to, you know, sort of scrap and battle. That suggests that you're going to play them at their own game. And Everton, you know, we've already gone through Stokes attacking, you know, in inverted commas, riches. Therefore, you know, Everton should be able to get at them, you know, so and play football. And you know, there's no reason why they shouldn't have the confidence to do that. Whether Sam Allardyce, you know, chooses to embrace that attitude or wants to dig one out, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, that's unfair. I hope it's the former for your sake. <laughs> yeah. Just a quick one. Go on. Sigurdsson's been so influential in recent games, mm-hmm. hasn't he? How are they going to replace him as their sort of pivot? Well, you, we've we've discussed this. So this is your. This is the forum. The floor is yours, yeah, Greg. Yeah, yeah. Sam Allardyce is listening. If you say David Class, I'm going to laugh at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, frankly, I haven't got an answer. He's been so important to Everton recently. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't know how they will replace. He's him. irreplaceable. Yeah. yeah. Sadly, I mean, we we were overburdened with players in that yeah, role, but yeah. when it's boiled down to it, I'd, I'm not sure really. I'd, so you ask a question, you haven't got the answer. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, on you. I'm not sure I've got Rooney shoved into that role. No, because I think we've seen no, that he can't no. really shine there. Tom anymore. Davis high up the pitch, I suspect, you know, with Balassi and Walcott out of the side, maybe. Yeah, but, I, you know, I, puts, I, a, puts a lot of onus on Davis, who's not been using the ball that well in recent I, games. I voted yeah. for Calvert-Lewin. Yeah, I wouldn't argue with that. I said, I said on Tuesday, play 4-3-3. Yeah. I played Rooney with two more defensively minded midfielders. Could see that, then, yeah. Lassie and Volkos and Tosin as a front three. So you have Guy and Tom or yeah, Guy yeah, and with Schneidlin. Because that's my point Rooney. about Rooney, is that away from home, you've got to play him. You can't play Rooney's a two mm. right. in front of the back four away from home. It just gets swamped. Yeah, yeah. And when he yeah. gets swamped, that's when he loses the ball. Yeah. You've got to give him an out ball, so you've got to have somebody else in there with him. And, I, and I, I'd, I'd do that again. away from home and against the top teams if you want to play Wayne there. Don't play him as a two uh, in those games. Um, but one, one thing I would say about Sam's comments with all due respect about digging out of an away results, that's been half our problem as mm. I'm not away for, is that's what we've intended, we've literally set out to do from watching us away from home. Except for Tottenham. Yeah, yeah. No, well, looking yeah. to, no, looking, just aiming to dig out the results. Yeah. That from the start, we've not really had any sort of like humph about <coughs> us. And we've ended up like not scoring goals invariably like at the better team conceding four or five. So I want to see on Saturday like what we did at Burnley in the first forty minutes at Burnley over the ninety because we quite patently got got it in us and on the back of a good result against their brain. And of course it's it's days like Saturday and, and what you were talking about there, Gav, where a Gareth Barry and James McCarthy would be first names on the team sheet. And great images last night on Instagram of McCarthy back at Finch Farm this week and doing some some early rehab on his leg, so you know. yeah, yeah. Well, let's say he's just got to look at. I know time, and but if you James McCarthy, look at Seamus Coleman as your inspiration, you know, and uh, that, that's uh, good news. Um, so that's on field matters done with, put to one side, uh, and the significant, major off field news yesterday. Um, and Prenna, I'll speak to you about it. You wrote our story. Uh, Super League, we believe, has approached Everton, Robert Elston about taking up the lead uh, of Super League and ending what would be a 15-year association with the football club. Just just bring us up to speed with what you, you know about that. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, Super League wants uh, Robert Elston to go back to his, his first love, effectively, which was Rugby League. 
and uh, take charge of uh, the whole operation, become chief executive. Um, like you say, he's been at Everton for a long time, but there are changes afoot at Everton um, behind the scenes. That, you know, Everton's Farhad Mashiri came in, and he brought in you know sort of two new board members, and uh, and Sasha. I can't pronounce his surname. I'll let you do that for me. And, uh, <laughs> right, that's uh, right. Well done. Yeah, absolutely. And Keith Harris, and they've brought a different outlook. And I think you know they certainly believe that you know a change of direction is required. Um, Roberts has got this opportunity to go elsewhere. Um, I don't think, you know, there's, I don't think Everton are trying hard to keep him put it that way. Um, so I think, you know, we could be seeing him moving in the near future. Um, there were, I believe, he was going to be talking to uh, some senior Everton officials late last night. Mm. Whether that was to persuade him to stay, whether that was to, you know, accept, you know, his decision that he wants to leave, we don't know yet. Uh, but it does look, I would say, increasingly likely uh, that we'll be seeing a change in the chief executive's role at Goodison in the near future. Uh, quite where they go from there, I don't know. I mean, the deputy is uh, Denise Barrett-Baxendale, who you know, we've had a lot to do with personally, who is an absolute dynamo, absolute breath of fresh air. Whether you know, the powers that be would believe she has the you know, commercial experience to do that role, I don't know. They might look uh, outside the box and try and bring somebody else in, but that's all speculation. We don't mm. know. Um, at the moment, though, I would say, if I was a better man, I would say it would look like you know, Robert Alston is going to be taking charge of Super League and Everton will be looking for a new chief exec. Greg, if, if Robert is to leave the football club, how do you think he will be remembered for those 15 years? It's an interesting question, isn't it? Because he, he's probably been the chief executive during a pivotal time of the club's sort of history, really. This kind of boom in the broadcast revenue from television. But before that as well, he had to try and make the club progress or help the club progress when Everton were a relative pauper of the, mm. of the top flight with managers and fans who demanded more and more and more, especially David Moyes and you know the famed or infamed glass ceiling that he kept continually butting up against. And I think... His record on that has been at best mixed. Um, I think there have been. I think there have been some. If you if you factor in the, the arrival of Mashiri, at so, to some extent, uh, Robert must have had some sort of yeah. involvement in setting the grounds for someone like Mashiri to see Everton as an attractive prospect. Yeah. Then I think he deserves some credit for that. But generally speaking, I think the club's commercial performance has been. Average, which um, which he is admitted to, it. which which he admits yeah. to uh, readily, and it's not as binary as he's good or bad. Generally speaking, like I say, I think his legacy will be a little bit mixed. It's interesting that it's come at this point that he that that he seems ready to depart, because almost he would have had a chance to change that kind of mixed legacy had he safely delivered this the stadium scheme, mm. but. I'm almost a little concerned I'm leaving or rather a change at the top not so much Robert leaving with respect but a change at the top at this point mm-hmm. because he has as a, you know, been told he's been the lead on the stadium yeah. so it's going to be interesting what, what the next step is would Everton chatting to somebody would they even suggest that he works his notice period which could be sort of six months mm-hmm. and is that a healthy uh, condition for, for having yeah. a chief exec maybe one eye on the exit door or would he in fact no, be I, professional I, I, and just I, I think Super League will on. want him immediately I mean uh, you know it's a very important time for them at the moment I think they would want him immediately and 
I don't think Everton would allow him to leave if the stadium project was in any way going to be compromised by his departure. And you know the powers that be clearly don't believe it will be. Uh, I think otherwise they'd be saying, "No, I'm sorry." You know, uh, yeah. and you know what? what it's, it's quite widely advertised, you know, so what, he earns Everton Football Club and he's not going to be on anything like that at Super League. So, you know, he's going because he because he loves the place, because he loves senior rugby league and that's what he wants but to Gavos, do. I'll bring it to you, mate, because it's a, it remains a sensitive time for the stadium. Now, although everything seems to be in place and, and the, still the finances haven't been tied yeah, down, yeah. you know, the... T's haven't been crossed, nice dotted and what have you. So is it not a concern for you that the man who has been, as we say, in the lead in this respect, yeah. has been you know, a driving force, if you like, behind the new stadium, would leave the football club and everything would go with him, so to speak? Well, yeah, there's a couple of things going on there, isn't it? it there's also the management position as well in there, and I kind of thinking back that one of the problems United got wrong in 2013, you left Ferguson and David Gilgo at the same time, didn't he? Mm. And they suffer from yeah, the consequences yeah, yeah, yeah. of that for a while. And so the, the, the ever-changing manager's door, which it's been over the last couple of uh, couple of years, a Goodison and could combined, be revolving yeah, again. Yeah, yeah, and, and with the, uh, the chief executive is n- never mind the, the off the pitch stuff. Just from a general running of the club, I mean, and 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 to take Greg's point about commercial stuff, but I think sometimes, and I don't want to. This is a separate pod in itself. Our commercial deals and whatever we get from that reflect the size of our club and our status I, I see stuff when they compare it, oh, see how the top six and, and look at their commercial deals now our deals our deals as they are because we are a, a middle ranking Premier League club at pre- present you know, though yeah. under David Moyes only five or six years ago Everson were routinely fifth, sixth, fifth, sixth, fifth, sixth so, yeah, you know, but, but in terms so of like, our club. exposure though yeah. like not being in the Champions League year in year out and what that means to sponsors oh, that makes and things like that yeah. that makes a massive difference and Sometimes, you know, you, you get... OK, we may be able to get better commercial deals, but, but when I see it's compared to, say, what Arsenal get at Tottenham, it's never going to happen, is it? You know what I mean? No, I think... It, it, you know, <laughs> it, it's, driven, it's driven by your status as a club. Yeah, I think one of the criticisms of Roberts has been that he's always been very risk-averse. Yeah. You know, he, he's an experienced and respected accountant, and maybe yeah. you know, that goes to an extent hand-in-hand, hand, but... He's done really well on Goodison Park in keeping ticket prices affordable, Absolutely. keeping the ground full, yeah. and, and helping in that in that way. Goodison maybe become a fortress. I think the kit bag decision, without going back over old ground, Agreed. was Agreed. catastrophic. Yeah. I think it was really yeah. a poor decision. Yeah. Uh, and Everton probably suffered commercially because of tying themselves into something as restrictive as that. And to renew it after, I think everybody accepted it was a bad deal really sort of smacked of not learning your lesson um, but having said that it's interesting what the point you've just made about United could Everton face get, having to lose the chief exec lose and I say lose and you know relatively speaking it wouldn't be much or loss the director of football and then a new manager in the space well, of four months I said to somebody yeah, yesterday on a yeah. text it would be unheard of I think certainly in my lifetime I couldn't remember when that, that would be you know, three, well, the, the key positions at a football club. Yeah, so the yeah. concern you have, is that conducive to a much, to a really strong 2018-19 season? Yeah. I'm not being too negative here. No, no, it could no, well it be is. a springboard. No, it is, it is. I mean, a it, brilliant season. But it, yeah. it could be, and this is why, I mean, this won't be popular amongst a lot of people, but it's why I believe that Bill Kenrice is still so important to Everton Football Club, because, you know, he is... 
you know the uh, the glue, if you like, the person the person that understands the football club more than most. And Farhad Mashiri has incredible enthusiasm. You know, he has incredible ambition for Everton Football Club, but he doesn't have you know that much experience in football. And we've heard that through some of his pronouncements. You know, so on Sky TV, some of the things he said that have you know got himself into a little bit of hot water. And I think that you know Ken Rice is the. The, the buffer, if you like, the guard against you know so some yeah. of that. You know, he, he's the experienced head. That you know, a lot of his decisions haven't gone down well with a number of fans. But I still think he's important, and certainly in the next twelve months, in just making sure that the club still you know runs on a stable footing, and some of the values of the past aren't left behind. Yeah, I, I agree with that because any any organisation needs somebody with historic knowledge and um, awareness. Yeah. Of what what the organisation stands for, and that does that does matter whether you work in a factory or big office or whatever a football club. You you can't necessarily have all completely new people. You do need the odd individual who's got that legacy type stuff and like you know builds ideal for that. But regardless of what you know, I know some people would say contrary to that, but it's my belief as well. So on that front, Greg, because as we know, Robert also deals with contracts. Yeah. He takes a lead in new contracts, yeah. and obviously has a has a an element of a role in transfers. Pronounced correct, isn't it? Um, so, if Robert is to leave the football club, who fills the shoes then? Who who comes in? Can it be somebody currently on the board who perhaps doesn't have that experience in doing the job, or doesn't have to go and headhunt somebody who's been at a Premier League or major European football club, done contracts, um, been involved in transfers, or? <coughs> So the role of chief exec change and the role of contracts, negotiation, the things that Robert took on as part of his wider remit fall into the director of football? Absolutely. If you're going to have persist with the director of football model, it's going to be clearly defined and structured. And he can take on a lot of those, a lot of those roles and free the next chief executive to focus on making Everton more profitable, commercially successful, things like the stadium, the main thing of course the yeah. stadium uh, and it's going to be fascinating who they go for I do think uh, Brano mentioned Denise Baxendale who I've got nothing but respect yeah. and admiration for she would certainly be a really interesting candidate but <laughs> she's almost made a rod for her own back by being so brilliantly successful Everton in the community I think asking her to do both things would certainly be stretching her too thinly yeah. so do you rob Peter to pay Paul and move her away from that really successful remit that continues to do good things yes. for the city and the wider f- football club or do you go and bring someone in and not you you know you were talking about getting someone from other football clubs across Europe well, I guess it doesn't necessarily have to be a no, football chief not. exec yeah. although maybe it suggests ever since the last two Keith Wyness and Roberts have been taken from wider commerce neither were in football at the time were they Although Robert was was in sport, Keith Wyness was in Scotland, wasn't he? In, uh, he was British. Aberdeen. Aberdeen. Oh, sorry, yeah, 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 correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah quite. Not, not quite English right. football, that yeah, was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and I guess this is where Farhad opens his contact, his extensive contacts book, and says, "Ah, I know so and so. He'll know somebody." Yeah. yeah. And we. Well, this is uh, Sorry, Gav. Just, just yeah. what I wanted to say. Lastly, on that, we can't. Farhad's money can only get so far in competing for the top players that the top four want. I would hope for hard money can get us a chief exec from the very top elite ranks of people out there who we can go and buy pluck away from someone else with a big fat paycheck. Yeah, no, that was a big fat paycheck. Yeah, yeah, first time me and big fat paychecks have been mentioned the same sentence. Big and fat, like, yeah, but, but uh, <laughs> it's like a rake. Yeah, I, say, I think I think what you might find, <la
the job description of the new CEO won't be will be completely different, mm. and the job descriptions going forward of the commercial director and yeah, director of football will be completely different. And I think that's what probably needs to change rather than just get a life for life replacement yeah. in, in that job role because football changed, the club's changed, hasn't it? Absolutely, you know, and absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Maybe, maybe the current job roles and descriptions are old Everton. We want job roles and descriptions that are new Everton. It could be a really like healthy thing for yeah. the club. Yeah, actually, it be. Yeah. Is it, yeah. Yeah. would that be unhealthy for Steve Walsh? Well, it depends, doesn't it? Really, I suppose. I mean, I, I, I'm not sure. At the end of the day, footballers and managers win football games. Don't mean we need to remember that. I think it's good to talk about the off, off the field stuff. But we spent 40 minutes there talking about our away form and players' need and psychologists and stuff. I mean, we, we sometimes get lost. I mean, it's good to have the discussion. We just get lost about who actually is successful at a football club. It's the people on the pitch and the manager. They're the ones who do it. You know? Sure, sure, but it is all interlinked. Oh, it know, is, but ultimately yeah. they win football games and yeah. they, they lose football games as well. But they are brought into the football club by the people we've just yeah, been talking yeah, about. Yeah, but it's, yeah. they've still got to do it though, haven't they? The money is generated to pay them the money to attract the very yeah, best players. Yeah, so it is all I, I get that, but you've still yeah. got to win it. Yeah, you've, still, you've still got to win it on the pitch. Mm. So it'd, it'd be... Maybe this is the first step to like um, another step to the new Everton that we've always spoken about over the last couple of years since Farad. The Came new Everton, I can see it Everton, now. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Excellent. So we went, we started on field, went off field, but we'll come very briefly back onto the pitch. It's prediction time, where we always get it wrong. Um, Greg, Stoke City Football Club against Everton Football Club at the Bet365 Stadium. I'll, I'll be there. What will the score? I'll be watching. I won't be there. <laughs> I'm glad to say. Um, I, I share Prano's optimism. Actually, I don't know why. I'm not drunk. It's not. <laughs> it's uh, still relatively early in the afternoon. I think Everton are going to go there and build on the better parts of Burnley and take the bounce from the win against Brighton. I think they're going to go and win two 0 the better parts of Burnley and the bounce from Brighton Gav some B alliteration please <laughs> yeah, yeah. alliteration yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah not yeah, the yeah. B that Sam used <laughs> I am going to share the optimism of my fellow podcasters here and say I've got a good feeling on Saturday uh, and I, I see a, if we carry on like we did over the last two games like I spoke about the best bits from both I can see us winning uh, 2-0 yeah, uh, I think it, I think it'll be a draw one all. I think Stoke will be fired up and make life difficult, but Everton will come away with something. Yes. I'm on a roll at the moment because I had a six to one winner on Friday night. That for me constitutes a roll. <laughs> Manchester United under twenty threes, bottom of the league, <laughs> to win at Liverpool under twenty threes. To be fair, I was tipped off by Andy Kelly, one of our colleagues here, but great price, you can't ignore that. And you can imagine my celebration when that came in. <laughs> so, you know, I'm on a roll and I I'm I'm gonna go identically for uh, for Greg, because uh, I, I genuinely think that Everton can score a couple of goals there. You know, the Baines, Coleman, Jagielka, Keane, Axis, you know, provided that isn't tinkered with, um, is good enough to keep a clean sheet. And yeah, I've got reasonable confidence that Everton can win. Tell if you're a betting man, though, uh, what, all the money in the world on Saturday on either an own goal or a penalty that we score from, because I think it's our last... to be a pen, it's pens every last, week. I think our last, uh, I think it's our last seven goals at Stoke. Three of them being on goals and two of them being penalties. So, uh, and did you see the stat earlier this week? Yeah, I don't know who's going to be on penalties. Yeah, of course, everyone yeah. knows how good Baines is yeah, from the yeah. spot. 
but Cheng Tosin, have you seen his record? 24 out of 25. His last yeah. one he missed was, I think it was eight years ago. Yeah. And, you know, clearly he's on a roll at the moment. He'll want to take penalties. Bainsey doesn't seem massively uh, enthusiastic he's, about taking responsibility. He's got for the record, hasn't he, like now? So that's he hasn't got the league game. record, you know. He needs one more to equal Trevor Stephen oh, right, and the league yeah, penalties, yeah, okay, but yeah, overall yeah. he has. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, Cheng, tune down and Cheng Tosin to score from the spot. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> I saw it. Yeah. Well, well, we'll take that. That would be. Uh, this is the most positive podcast for several months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I should come more. Amazing amount of tuna defeated Brighton. Yeah, yeah. And I predicted a draw as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You watch them every week. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. I hope you've enjoyed uh, the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast in association with Sport Pacer. And stick with us for all the best Blues news and analysis as we preview the game at Stoke and, of course, bring you all the best uh, analysis from that game. Thanks very much for listening. zijn met je mobiel? Dat kan al voor 21,50 per maand met de iPhone SE 32 gigabyte. Nu met 300 minuten of sms'jes en 1000 MB 4G internet. Kijk op ben.nl Let op. Geld lenen kost geld.